I'm Marie Ortenberger, and you're listening to a Great Lakes Echo podcast. When I first heard the term vernal pool, I was immediately intrigued by how mystical it sounded. Those words came straight out of a Shakespearean sonnet. They could only describe something wholly magical. I pictured a sun-dappled pond, sequestered remotely in an emerald forest, occupied by glittering insects, otherworldly wildlife, and, I don't know, probably fairies or something. In other words, I got really excited. I set out to find out just what vernal pools are and whether or not they lived up to my expectations. And it turns out, they do. Almost entirely. Yuman Lee, a conservation scientist and zoologist at the Michigan Natural Features Inventory, or MNFI, researches these truly special ecosystems. Vernal pools are small, shallow, temporary wetlands that typically occur in forested landscapes. And so by temporary, we mean that they are only wet for part of the year. Vernal pools fill with water in spring, from snowmelt or groundwater. Some occur in floodplains along rivers and streams and fill when the water level rises, and some have temporary streams that flow into them. Regardless, though, of when they fill with water or where they get the water from, they all dry up completely or draw down significantly by late summer or early fall, either every year or in most years. That characteristic of vernal pools is key. It's the reason why they host such unique wildlife, and it's also part of the reason why they are at risk. One of the main reasons vernal pools host animals you won't find in other wetlands is because they can't support fish. Because they dry up, um, they can't have, they don't have fish. They can't support permanent fish populations. And in a lot of ecosystems, fish can be voracious predators on animals. And so without the predation pressure from fish, there are some animals that um, can survive or do better in vernal pools uh, than in other wetlands or water bodies that are permanent that have fish then. For some invertebrates and amphibians, that means vernal pools are perfect spots to raise their delicate young. I like to think of vernal pools as sort of like nature's nurseries <laughs> because a lot of these invertebrate, invertebrate and amphibian species um, use vernal pools for uh, breeding or egg laying and um, development of their young and larvae. Some organisms have adapted to only survive in vernal pools. The eggs of fairy shrimp, see I told you there are fairies, must dry and freeze before they can hatch. That can only happen in a vernal pool. Other species just prefer vernal pools to other types of wetlands. You have some species that um, only occur in vernal pools, like fairy shrimp, which are these microcrustaceans that are about an inch long. And it uh, looks like they, their eggs need the drying and the freezing before they'll actually hatch. So they're only found in vernal pools. And then you have um, some other species that can occur in other wetland types, but do their best or prefer vernal pools. So species like wood frogs and blue spotted salamanders and spotted salamanders. So those four species um, we think of as vernal pool indicator species, that when you find them, that's a good sign that you, know, that you probably are, um, have a vernal pool. Plenty of other forest wildlife use vernal pools as well, Yuman told me, and they're vital for the balance of forest ecosystems. But because they are small, ephemeral, and largely unexplored, vernal pools aren't being protected as well as they should be. Our current wetland regulations don't, uh, don't do a very good job protecting small wetlands. So they um, typically focus mainly on wetlands that are five acres in size or greater, and vernal pools are smaller than five acres. And also um, our current wetland regulations focus on wetlands that are connected to usually permanent water and um, 
a lot of our vernal pools are isolated and aren't connected to permanent water. So they kind of fall through the cracks um, that way because they're small. They Because they're small and, and they dry up, they're also difficult to identify in the landscape unless you're in the right time of year when they're, you know, when they're wet, you know, usually. And so it's easy to overlook them and not know they're there and inadvertently even, you know, damage or destroy them then um, when you're doing different land use activities. And then finally, um, we don't really have good information about vernal pools. We don't really have a good idea of uh, where they're located, how many there are, and how they're doing, and what are some of the plants and animals that are in vernal pools, and what kind of um, ecological role or values they have and play in the landscape. And so, without this information, sometimes it's really hard to, de- you know, um, to plan and to develop um, effective uh, conservation and management strategies to try to protect them. Mm-hmm. One of MNFI's primary goals is just to start locating these pools and monitoring them. It's no small task, but that's where citizen science comes in handy. For this reason, MNFI started the Vernal Pool Patrol Project, which involves citizen scientists, and importantly, students, in collecting data on Michigan's vernal pools. The Vernal Pool Patrol Project is a statewide citizen science-based effort to map and monitor vernal pools so we can get better information uh, about their status and distribution and ecology so that we can do a better job of informing um, conservation and management of vernal pools then. And the project that we're working on right now in particular is uh, funded by the Great Lakes Fishery Trust and the project is to help us to develop a companion program to get K-12 students and educators involved in vernal pool mapping and monitoring. And the idea is um, to try to pilot and test the program uh, up in northern Michigan with the intention of trying to expand the program to other um, educators and students statewide in the future. I think that the Vernon Pool Project is actually um, almost in a lot of ways an ideal project for getting citizen scientists and students involved. Uh, we obviously need more information about vernal pools. And it's very likely that there's a large number of them and they're distributed across the entire state. And given the limited resources that we have, you know, these days, it's going to be pretty challenging um, for us to be able to um, get all the mapping and monitoring work done to get the information that we need to really inform conservation and management in a timely manner. But beyond just necessitating the help of students and volunteers, the nature of vernal pool data collection is also well suited to citizen help. The protocol isn't particularly onerous or um, the data that we're asking folks to collect, you know, isn't very difficult to collect and doesn't require a lot of special equipment. Um, So, you know, I think that students can help uh, reliably collect data um, for the program. And then um, it's also an opportunity to get students outdoors and, uh, out, you know, engage in nature. And there's been a lot of research or growing body of research that uh, demonstrates there's some, a lot of benefits to getting students more um, engaged uh, and involved um, and being outside and with the outdoors and doing environmental education. And then they also get an opportunity to actually uh, collaborate and work with, you know, scientists and resource managers at the state and local level. Um, to help collect data and participate in this uh, real-world, you know, kind of um, science research project. And and then the information that they collect will actually, you know, be used by, you know, resource uh, managers at that state and local level. And so it's a unique opportunity for them to be able to get involved with something like this. And something about vernal pools just makes people excited. For students, that might have something to do with being able to see their learning applied in the real world to see that their information is being used, to see how science and the information that they learn in the classroom um, can actually have real-world applications. And then uh, I think it helps with learning, you know, some of the the, um, 
the science curriculum and some of the concepts that they're learning in the classroom in biology and ecology, they're actually getting to um, see it come to life and see examples of it in, you know, um, in nature to help reinforce what they're learning in the classroom. Um, and then finally, I think it's just, it's fun. You know, <laughs> I think all the teachers and the students that we've worked with that have participated in the program and have had a chance to go outside and do some vernal pool monitoring have really enjoyed being outdoors and getting to see, you know, some of the, um, the animals, the, some of the really unique animals that you find in the pools. Um, one of the great stories we tell about this program is um, in the spring, we had a training workshop and Tracy D'Agostino, who's with Michigan State University 4-H program in Alpena, um, we went to our training workshop, and then the very next day, actually, she was working with a group of students, and she took them out to uh, a wooded dune in Swale, which is a natural community that's found along uh, Michigan shoreline and only along Great Lakes shoreline. So it's actually a pretty rare uh, natural community. And these swales that occur in sort of this kind of, um, you get these dunes that have forests, and in between them you get these little pools of water. And those some of those pools will dry up, and we kind of have wondered whether we whether those should be vernal, vernal pools or not. And we hadn't really decided because we haven't really studied those. And so the class went out, and um, she sent us an email and said that the students found fairy shrimp in those pools, which is, you know, a vernal pool indicator species. And I think, um, as far as I know, at least for, for Michigan, I think that's the first time fairy shrimp have been documented in a wooded dune and swale habitat. And potentially that might be the first time, you know, in general. And so they um, made a new discovery and they're able to, I think that's part of this thing about this project is not only could they, you know, I think that they can make valuable contributions to vernal, to the vernal pool patrol program and vernal pool conservation and science in Michigan, but um, actually, you know, globally, they can contribute to the field as well. In April, I'll follow a class of students on their visit to a vernal pool, which will hopefully be filled with water and life for them to explore. But after learning all these cool things about vernal pools, I found I also was not immune to the intrigue that they inspire. So I asked Yuman what I should look for if I wanted to visit a vernal pool in a snowless December, and she gave me some tips. The first thing is obviously if you, you're walking in the woods and you see water, especially if it's, you know, a small, shallow kind of depression um, and there's some shallow water in there, then that's a sign. And then some of the other key characters we talked about earlier, so um, that they're, um, it's isolated, that there's no um, uh, connection to any kind of permanent water body or a permanent stream or, you know, inlet or outlet. And, um, you know, again, they're fairly small and shallow. When they're dry, if they're dry right now, um, you'll see the depression. And then in some cases, you might see um, these black matted leaves that uh, might, you might see some little, you know, small pools of standing water. If you walk in the depression, um, it might be really mucky. Your feet will, you know, sink in and you'll squish. <laughs> um, and and then you might, when you step in it, you might see water pooling then in, in where you stepped. Um, you also, with the trees, if there are trees in the pool or around the edges of the pool, you might see um, the water line, a watermark, you know, where it's a little darker colored on the bottom, the base of the tree trunks, then, uh, you know, the top of the tree trunk. And then um, you can look under the leaf litter and look for um, species like fingernail clams and uh, snails that are year-round residents in vernal pools. And they're species that need um, habitats that have water, standing water for part of the year. So if you can find these species underneath the leaf litter um, and it's dry, then it's a good indication that that area probably, you know, fills with water and has standing water than, um, you know, other times of the year then. 
Armed with that information, I contacted a local conservation group to get tips on where some vernal pools might be located and set out to see if I could identify one. Okay, so I am in the car. I'm on my way to visit a vernal pool um, that's part of one of the Ottawa County parks in West Olive, Michigan. It's December 20th. And it's about 38 degrees right now. All the snow that we got this weekend has pretty much already melted. It's about 11.10 in the morning. When I arrived at the park, I began walking down the trail. If I was correctly reading the map of vernal pools I was given, I had a bit of a hike before I found one. It's a really beautiful sunny day today. Uh, I don't see any snow. But then... I think I may have found, just stumbled upon a vernal pool. I guess I'm not very good at reading maps. What caught my eye as I was walking was a group of trees not far off the trail that appeared to have a water line. The bottom inches of their trunks were several shades darker than the rest of the trees. I'm gonna look around for the signs. So what I thought so water line looks to be just moss although there's a distinct darkness on a number of these trees um, the space does not have the same vegetation there's a lot of leaf litter no standing water The ground's pretty soft in comparison to. Oh, here we go. Some black leaves. Looking under the leaf litter. Part of what Yuman told me to do was to look under the leaf litter to see if I could find any standing water or signs of the year-round species she named. Trying to see if I can find any indicators of fingernail clams or snails, snail shells. These are year-round residents of vernal pools. After digging in a couple of different spots, I had success. I found a fingernail clam. It's really tiny. Super cute though. I'm excited. I f this is now officially, I think, a vernal pool in my book. So that's exciting. I think um, I'm going to keep looking, see if I can find another one. Um, and if it exhibits any other defining characteristics. So I'm going to put you back under the soil, replace the leaf litter that I unceremoniously brushed aside, and move on. I ended up finding what appeared to be another vernal pool mere steps away from the first one I'd found. Same characteristics, from the blackened leaf litter to the water-lined tree trunks. I even found a couple more fingernail clams. And even though it was winter and there were hardly any organisms, it was really cool to see the vernal pool in dormancy, to recognize the signs of its life last spring. 
I can't wait to return to a vernal pool in spring to see it in its living glory alongside the students who are monitoring it as a part of the vernal pool patrol project. For now, while it's unbearably cold and snowy and it seems like nothing will ever bloom again, I'll keep dreaming of that mystical, emerald-colored forest waterscape that so captured my imagination when I first heard about vernal pools. Thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded and produced by me, Marie Ortenberger. The music is by Kevin MacLeod.